Ginger Gerald for enriching our lives. Hello everybody and welcome back to Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard. Now then, first things first, last week in Amazon or Amazoff, I defined three generations of online shoppers and the final category, I called them Kia or Pitta. So to put you out of your misery and to help you sleep at night, as I know this must have been worrying you all week, I shall now do the big reveal. Now, if you've not yet listened into the episode Amazon or Amazoff from last week, I suggest you cover your ears for the next 20 seconds or so. Or if you're driving, then maybe just shout out the top of the voice so as not to miss all the fun and games when you do finally catch up and listen into my latest pod. Ready? Well, Kia stands for know-it-all. And Pitta is, come on, it's not tricky. It's something along the same lines. Yep, Pitta is pain in the arse. How many of you got them? I didn't think it was too tricky, to be honest, but well done to all of you at home who got the answers right. No prizes, I'm afraid, this time around. I'm right out mugs, but a big virtual slap on the back for you. Now, I have been advised by my editor that I need to be a bit more careful not to offend too many people, or my audience levels might just drop a little, and consequently, that could have an impact on my multinational sponsorship deals and franchise agreements. So, if you feel offended by me calling you a Kia or a Pitta, I'm genuinely very, very sorry. Okay, but please keep listening and remember that everything we do here at GGYLBHQ is just for fun and with the very best of intentions. And in case you're wondering what HQ is actually like, well, I'm sat here with my cup of tea and with my TBA. That's my two biscuit allowance, folks. And I'm seeking inspiration from the walls and my, of my minimalist but nonetheless high-tech recording studio which are just covered in awards and certificates. Well, that's not quite true, to be honest, but there is one which I sadly awarded to myself recently for releasing my very first episode some six months ago. Moving on, folks, what have we got in store for us today? Well, here's a question for you. Have you heard of the concept of a 15-minute city? Okay, 15-minute city. If you have, and I guess most of you have, as we boast a very well-read and worldly-wise bunch of listeners here at GGYLB, well done to you. You're a step ahead of many. And you can just chill for a moment while I briefly explain it to everyone else. Okay, so a 15-minute city, FMC, is an urban planning concept, UPC, which entails working, shopping, education, healthcare, and leisure, W-S-E-H-L, reducing car dependency, CD, and promoting healthy and sustainable living, H-S-L. Have you got it, G-I? Some people think that this is the best thing since sliced bread, which, to be honest, is a whole debate in itself, isn't it? Because, frankly, you don't have to invent something too amazing for it to be better than sliced bread, do you? Especially if it's bimbo thick sliced. And others, the other camp, well, they're out in the streets protesting that this is an invasion of privacy. 
and yet another excuse to further increase the level of state-driven control and surveillance that we're already accustomed to in our cities. What does make me laugh a little bit is that it's Paris which has been at the heart of the renaissance of the FMC. Paris of all places. Last time I was in Paris, it took me more than 15 minutes just to cross a road. And I'm not talking the Champs-Élysées. Imagine the Arc de Triomphe without a load of Citroëns and Renaults honking their horns and creating angles that, well, Pythagoras is yet to discover. That'd be a cultural disaster. The tourist trade into Paris would just die overnight. When I lived in Paris all those years ago as a student, my walking had been limited to 15 minutes in any given direction from my flat, then I couldn't quite have visited my mate. I definitely couldn't have gone to college or to the gym. And I'm pretty sure I couldn't have found a job I liked. But on the plus side, I could have eaten loads of pastries and I could have drunk beer and pasties to my heart's content at any hour of the day. So, hmm, maybe that doesn't sound too healthy or sustainable now, does it? Enough flippancy, Ginger Gerald. We all know, don't we, that you're not going to launch into a full-on intellectual debate of the pros and cons of the FMC concept and the implications of its rollout plan. So why did you even bring the subject up? Well, reading about FMC got me thinking about transport in general and how we used to get ourselves around in different places. How did we get from A to B and how did we used to get from A to B? Does anyone know at what point it was no longer okay and definitely not considered safe and a thing to do to stand at the side of a road with a big handwritten sign on a bit of cardboard and your thumb stuck out to hitch a lift to wherever it was that you were hoping to get to. When did that change? How many of you did that? Where did you do it? Where were you going? Was it a regular way to get from one place to another without having to pay anything? Or just a one-off when you were scraping the barrel just to shove a 50p piece in the electric meter? Or was it just for an adventure? I used to absolutely love hitching. And for a while, I did it a lot. When I was a student in Birmingham, in England, I often got myself to Spaghetti Junction and hitched up the M6 to Stoke to watch the games or elsewhere for the away games, especially in London. London was really easy because everyone was going to London, so that was an easy place to hitch up. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, which it probably doesn't, to be honest, but we'll never know, will we? I can't actually ever remember not getting to where I was hoping to get to in the end from uh, Spaghetti Junction. And often in plenty of time for a skinful of ale at the meetup pub before the game. Perfect. Do you remember? You'd be standing there, whatever that was, on your own, or maybe two of you. Three was definitely considered too many. Maybe three is a bit intimidating for a driver to pick you up. And you sort of knew whether a car was likely to stop for you or not. It was like a sixth sense. Maybe it's in an inherited genetic characteristic. That's an interesting one. Posh cars, they weren't going to stop. That was a real rarity. It was hardly even worth putting out your thumb for one of them or, or cars with kids in them. Or in fact, 
anyone who already had any car that already had people in the back of it. They were a waste of time and a little disappointed when you saw them coming. But when you saw an Austin Allegro or a Ford Cortina coming your way, just with a driver in it, then you get really excited and you'd hold your little cardboard plaque that little bit higher and you'd shove your thumb out that little bit further thinking that would make the difference. It might just be the tipping point in the driver's decision-making process. Oh yes, that young man's got his sign nicely presented and his thumbing is exemplary. I'll stop for him, the driver might think. But the most successful strategy of all was always to lock eyes on the driver's eyes as soon as you possibly could. Guilt the buggers into stopping for you. Negotiate, plead with your eyes. It's an absolute winner. What about lorry drivers? They were great. They were always on the lookout for someone to chat to and break up the loneliness, monotony and boredom of their day, I guess. And I love being picked up in a huge truck. It felt like a, a VIP private transport, better than a limo. They were sat in their cab a million miles above every other bugger on the motorway. And you could just look down at them in their little insignificant vehicles and sneer at them while you got your free lift. Now, for those who've been hitching before, this will bring back some special memories. Remember that feeling when you shove your cardboard sign out, accompanied by your thumb, of course, car goes past, you keep watching it, and then when you're just at the point of giving up on them and looking for the next car, you see the magic of their red, bright brake lights come on. What an absolute result. Euphoria kicks in and you feel all nervous and a little bit giddy. You can jump up and down with joy, but instead what you do is you grab your little backpack and you peg it up to the car before they've had time to change their mind and drive, drive away. And then you have that little traditional conversation. Hey, oh, Doc, you're going to Stoke, mate. I can drop you at Junction 16 if that's all right. In you'd get feeling happy as Larry as you calculate how many more mini hitches you'd need to get to your final destination. And me, maybe this is a bit sad. I used to guess exactly the time I was going to arrive in the pub. Hitching to footy games made life pretty easy when it came to conversation. So you could just stick to football. You had to be nice, though. Even if they were Man United or Arsenal fans, you didn't want them to kick you out halfway there, did you? So hitchhiking successfully actually requires a high level of emotional intelligence and an ability to chat about anything and everything whilst keeping your wits about you, just in case. And sometimes you just couldn't wait to get out of someone's car, either because they were their driving was shocking or it smelled bad or worse. You got the impression that they were a complete nutter. Quite a lot of people used to hitch around Europe too, didn't they? Especially in the summer. I remember trying to hitch from Paris to the west coast of France to go camping one summer. It was in the mid-80s. They call it auto-stop in France. Now, auto-stop is such an appropriate name, isn't it? It's not like the French at all. Very efficient. Anyway, there were three of us. That wasn't a good sign. We had bags containing all our worldly possessions, which wasn't very much, 
plus a 10. So we knew it was going to be a tall order and very tricky. So we headed to the spot that we thought would be the best early in the morning to give us all day to get us on our way. It was a bit like a cartoon. One of us would hold the sign and shove their thigh up, and the other two, we'd hide behind the bushes with all our bags and the tent. And when a car pulled up, or we thought one was going to pull up, we'd all rush up to it. But invariably, it'd see the three of us just speed away. We stood at the side of that road and took in, I don't know how much carbon monoxide, for hours upon hours, and no bugger picked us up. A few gendarmes stopped a couple of times, of course, to see who we were and what we were up to and called us mad British people. Incidentally, in the UK, the police, as I remember, they used to be great. They'd sometimes even give you a lift or drop you at a better hitching spot that was safer as well. Anyway, this whole trip from Paris to the West Coast, it turned out to be a major failure for us. And you know what? We ended up getting the train. So I want to hear from you. How many of you hitched around Europe's in your summers or around the States or anywhere else? I bet there are some great stories out there about hitching in obscure countries or across entire continents. So share them with us, folks, on the normal places. Get to the uh, Facebook, pop it on Twitter, put it on the, whatever you like. Of course, if you hitchhike or if you've ever hitchhiked, then, of course, at some point, you expect someone to be kind enough to stop and pick you up, don't you? So the other side of that is that when you're driving yourself, you've got to be prepared to pick up other people or the whole system will just come tumbling down in an unsustainable mess, won't it? After I got my first car and stopped hitching myself, I used to come off at every motorway junction just to see if there was anyone waiting for a lift. If there was, great, I took them. And if not, no worries. I just rejoined the motorway and was on my way. Unless there were three of them, of course, then I never picked the buggers up. Now, how does this translate overseas? Well, when we live, when we lived in Mexico, I think I can only remember ever seeing one, on one occasion, somebody hitching a lift. And I'm not surprised it wasn't very common. To be honest, I wouldn't have done it either. But on this occasion, it was a little bit outside of Cancun in an area where there wasn't a great deal going on and there were hardly any cars on that road at all. We saw this couple, quite young, I'd say, in their 20s, a bit straggly looking, to be honest, and they shoved their thumbs out when they saw us and locked the eyes. So maybe they'd done it before. Maybe they were just desperate. That thumbs out, of course, is the universal sign of hitchhikers. And we sort of thought, we felt we were obliged to give them a lift. They were miles from anywhere. They looked knackered and it was boiling hot. Now, maybe this was a bad decision because there were already five of us in the car. There were us two and the three kids, and if I remember rightly. Anyway, it turns out that this guy lived in a ramshackle house in the middle of nowhere, and according to him, he kept wild cats. And the girl with him, he just picked up in a nightclub the night before in Cancun. Bet she couldn't imagine what she was in for, did she? When she, he suggested going back to his place for a quick coffee. Anyway, they seemed nice enough, if a little whiffy. And we dropped them off wherever they asked to be dropped. We never saw the wild cats, I have to say. And of course, we never saw them again. But 
I sort of believed him. And here, that was Mexico. Here in Mallorca, it's also really rare to see hitchhikers, but I think for a different reason, not for safety, but perhaps because it's just a very small island and you can't really go very far anyway. But funnily enough, I did pick up a couple just the other day. They must have been in their 70s and they were Bulgarian. Now, my Bulgarian's not great, and they didn't speak a lot of either English or Spanish. But what from what we did manage to communicate between us, what I did manage to understand was it was such a novelty that they found hitching really easy on Mallorca. Everyone apparently gave them lifts without them having to wait. They'd been touring the island for two weeks with their backpacks and a dozen plastic bags full of, well, God knows what they were full of, but they seemed to have done really, really well. So hitchhiking seems such an old-fashioned term, doesn't it? And it seems to be something that's from the bygone era nowadays, doesn't it? What's the difference between hitchhiking and the super-modern concepts of car-sharing or even car-pooling? Well, the difference, as I understand it, is that for one, you need a thumb and a bit of cardboard. And for the other, you need an app. Here we go again, another app, Zipcar, Car2Go, Turo, and my very favourite, Blah Blah Car. Who came up with that? Whoever did, give yourself an award. What a great name that is. If only the world was safer and people were nicer to each other, then mass hitching would be fantastic and super eco-friendly and sustainable. So many places are now restricting access to cars with sole occupancy, so... Fellas, if you see any hitches this week, then pick them up and do them and the planet a favour. So let's go back a minute, right to the beginning. We were talking about cities, weren't we? And I mentioned the 15-minute cities, the FMCs. Now, not a lot of hitching goes on in cities anyway, does it? So the best brains of the modern era have come up with a set of super innovative ideas for us all to implement to get around our cities safely, quickly, efficiently, and ecologically. Do you know what these super brains have come up with? Are you ready for this? They've come up with walking, cycling, and public transport. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? How the hell did they come up with that holy trinity? I tell you, all those master's degrees and research in urbanology are paying for themselves now. Maybe I shouldn't take the mickey, should I? In a city cycling, for example, it's just come on in leaps and bounds. Providing you download an app, of course, and you upload a credit card. I never know when I'm downloading or when I'm uploading. So the credit cards to prevent you stealing or damaging one of the bikes, then you can just help yourself to free bikes in so many cities worldwide nowadays. It used to be just in places like Holland and Belgium where urban cycling has always been massive. But now almost every city you go to has got some sort of free bike rental arrangements. It's like the whole city turns into a centre parks with bikes all over the place and not a car in sight. The only difference is at centre parts you get pissed up and then cycle out. But I guess on public pavements or a cycle lane, you're really not supposed to do them. And speaking of cycling lanes, they're all over the place. If you're one of the pedestrians, you know, 
walking, that modern invention where you put one leg in front of the other, then you also need eyes in the back of your head to make sure you don't get mowed down by one. Speaking of which, I should really have mentioned four methods of modern urban transport, not just the three that the superbrains came up with. I'm missing one, very little, but very significant means of transport here. And it's known by some as the scourge of the decade. Let me give you three little clues what I'm talking about. A little riddle. It's not a car, but it can go on the road. It's not a pedestrian, but it can go on the pavement. You don't need a helmet, but you can do 50 miles an hour. Yep, you've got it. It's the dreaded e-scooter. You been knocked over by one of them yet? Have you almost smashed into one in your car because you haven't seen it coming? If you haven't, then where have you been this last couple of years? They're absolutely everywhere. And you know what? Between you and me, I think they look pretty cool. I'd get myself one, but A, I think I'd spend my whole life falling off it. And B, which is perhaps related to A, I really don't want to be called a twat a million times a day. So has any of that brought back any memories for any of you? Kitchen? Good, bad, or maybe scary, huh? Whether you were the one doing the hitching or you were the one doing the driving. So have a think about it. Share your stories. Talk to each other about it. That bygone era, folks, could well be back. It's the way forward. So there we go for today. I've finished my TBA. Remember what that was? And it's now very close to wine o'clock in my office, which means it's time to go. Don't forget to rate this podcast or this episode on your platform of choice because that really helps me to get my pods out to more and more lost and slightly sad souls out there who are just desperate for a bit of Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard, in their lives. Have a fabulous week, folks, and speak to you soon. Bye.